All right, we're getting ready to go live. And this stuff on this side of the board is what I used this morning at 6.30. And I, I, I really want to encourage everybody to listen to that 25-minute teaching from this morning if you've not already listened to it. This is what we use. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. And so this is a good place to get grounded right here with the Holy Spirit as we keep talking, moving into that. So uh, I'm going to flip this back over after I'm done tonight. And you can take a picture if you like. But it'll really give you a good foundation for the Holy Spirit, understanding the Holy Spirit, the beginnings of it. Uh, and then, so if you, didn't, if you didn't get the chickens up this morning... Uh, make sure you take time to watch that or listen to it on the podcast. About We do about 25 to 30 minute teaching on Wednesdays. Uh, we're going to do that for a little season here. Uh, and then we may keep doing that periodically, uh, take a little break here and there, but different things that the Lord is really burdening burden us with. So we're going to go into 1 Timothy tonight, chapter 1. Uh, and so let's pray, and then we'll get started. Father, we thank you for your love and mercy. We thank you most of all because you are, you took our place, Jesus, and you are so full of love and mercy. You are a forgiving God. We just ask, Lord, that as we come to you tonight, that your word will be alive to us and that you'll minister to us. And we have seen your hand in so much around here, Lord. Uh, and lately, people being healed. And we're thankful for that, Lord. You are a healer. You're a savior. You're a deliverer. You're a way maker. You're the word made flesh. You're the light. You're the lamb. You're the king of kings, the Lord of lords. You're, you're all of that. You're a baptizer with the Holy Spirit. You're everything and more. And we're thankful for that, Lord. And we're thankful that you loved us enough to take our place on the cross, to come down here to forgive us of our sins so that we could be in right standing with the Father. And we ask that tonight, Lord, that we would be refreshed, renewed, and forgiven as we come before you here tonight. Receive our prayers tonight, Lord, as we come before you. And let us be more like you when we leave. In Jesus' name, amen. So 1 Timothy chapter 1, these are good epistles. These are foundational epistles for believers and encouragement, strength, reproof, all that. We want the Word of God, and He'll talk about that, uh, to reprove us, encourage us, rebuke us, uh, whatever we need, we want that to happen. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and Lord Jesus Christ, our hope, to Timothy, a true son in the faith. So Paul had brought him in and made him a part of his circle, trained him in a lot of ways, and then, of course, God does the main training, right? But Paul brought him along, and Timothy is, uh, was the only minister, he said, if you remember a few weeks back when we were teaching about, he said, I can only send Timothy because all the rest of the guys are in it for themselves. That's pretty sad that Paul even said that back in his day. He said, I'm going to send Timothy because everybody else is doing it for themselves they're not in it for the right reason he said i think he said it like this they all seek their own they all want in front of the line to timothy a true son in the faith grace mercy and peace from god our father and jesus christ our lord as i urged you when i went up to macedonia remain in ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine nor give heed to fables or endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. And uh, these, you know, most of the early church was Jews, and that's why I believe the Holy Spirit used Paul to write Hebrews. Uh, it was converted Jews. So there was a big group of Jews who were his followers and uh, obviously had influence with their families and their circle of friends. So Primarily, the early church was all made up of Jews. It was just the opposite the way it is now. You had the early church, mostly Jews, a few Gentiles sprinkled in here and there. But over time, when God raised up Paul, uh, he turned and came to the Gentiles because the Jews as a group, as a nation, continued to reject Jesus. And so Paul said he wished that he could, he said, I would that I myself was accursed 
if it would save some of my own brothers. Now, that's, a, that's one of the biggest statements in the Bible. Basically, he was saying, I'll be separated from God. I go to hell so that somebody else would go to heaven. I ain't there. I don't want to go to hell. <laughs> you know, but I mean, that, you talk about a passion. That's why he was God's number one man. That's why he wrote most of the New Testament. He was sold out. I mean, that's a, you know, there might be a few people in my life that I would trade places. Thank God that's not necessary because it's, he, his salvation is open for all of us and we all have to make our own choice. Even my children, your children, grandchildren, we can't make that for them. But, I mean, that's a pretty bold statement for the Apostle Paul to say that. And then he says, they, they get caught up in this. You know, I'm of this tribe and I'm of that tribe and... Paul talks about that in another place. He said, I'm born of the tribe of Benjamin, eighth day circumcised. But if you read on down, he says, all that stuff's done. Don't mean anything. He's found his life in Jesus Christ. Then he says, uh, from which some have having strayed. Let me back up. Now the purpose, verse 5. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart. That is agape. And we illustrate this with a straight arrow, right? Agape. And then we've, over the years, you've seen me bring in the other word in the Greek. There are three words, phileo, agape, and eros. And we demonstrate eros with a hook. Basically, Understanding that, when Paul said, I can't send anybody but Timothy, it's called, he basically was saying because everybody else has got a hook. they got a motive. And so what he's asked us to do is to love the way he loves. Now, if you're God, and you look down here at any individual while we were in our sin, we weren't worth saving, right? All we like sheep gone astray, there's none good, no, not one. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags. But God, because He had a pure motive and we had nothing to offer Him except allegiance, right? We bring our allegiance to Him, obedience and faith in Him. We don't, when God saved you and me, or anybody for that matter, we didn't add anything to God. In other words, I didn't make God more strong by joining His team. I didn't make him more righteous. Let me tell you something. If we all walk out on God, God's still going to win this battle when it's over. That's how this works. I don't make God any stronger by... So the benefit's all mine, right? It's like, that's why he compares us to like little children. When you have a little child, they don't do nothing to help the family. In fact, they keep us awake at night. They deceive us, Right? They're crying and whining and there's nothing wrong. But they know if they use that deceptive trick that we'll get out of bed, wipe the sleep out of our eyes and stagger in there and find out what's going on. And so much so we got a little monitor right beside the bed, right? So they can aggravate us at night. That's why we have it. I like what the old timer said. He said, walk up to somebody with a new baby and say, oh, what a pretty little sinner you have. Because we're all born into sin, right? And so that's how we are with God. You bring that baby home from the hospital. I mean, it's the greatest thing, right? It's just so much joy and all the anticipation, the love. But they can't do nothing. They can't even peel potatoes. They can't use the microwave. They can't even push a button. And that's how we are with God. We don't help Him be more of God. He's already all God. Well, what do we do? The Bible makes this very plain. We bring Him pleasure, right? Just like a little baby. It can't do a thing. Don't you wish they were born being able to change their own diapers? That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Potty train when they come out of the womb. Where's the bathroom? <laughs> but that's, that's how we are with God. He has to potty train us. Right? Most of the time, our potty's our mouth, right? <laughs> he has to flush our toilet in our mouth. 
So he, he, we're just like that. That child, when it comes home, it can't do anything to help sustain the family. It just brings pleasure to the family. Now, over time, that changes. But with God, we don't, we don't add any more to Him. We just, we just bring Him pleasure. He made us for His pleasure, the Bible says. So God loves us, and we bring Him pleasure. So God wants us to love with no motive. Whoever this is out here, stick man. Got a modern hairdo. Or stick woman. He wants us to love them with no motive. Just love them for their sake. That's how God loved us. And, and you know this is what I've shared. John 3.16 uses... Agape, but it uses the verb form, not the noun. John 3.16 is for God so agapaled, not agape, but agapaled. In other words, God's love moved him to action. That's why when you get over here, John says, you can't look at somebody that's in need and say, be blessed and be filled and not, Try to meet that need if you have the ability to meet it. He said, he, he goes on to say, how does the love of God dwell in you? Because this is what we got from God, from heaven. We got a straight arrow. God looking down here at a, somebody in a diaper, figuratively speaking. Can't even mow the grass or nothing, figuratively speaking. And God reached down in this mess and saved us. With pure love. Agape. No motive. So when you read John 3.16, I want you to read it with the understanding. I don't know how, what kind of six that is. but I want you to read that with the understanding that the love is a verb. And the action is to give. Every true Christian is a giver. For God so agapowed, verb loved us, that he done what? Gave. What did he give us? Something far greater than money, right? I think as Peter said, you've not been uh, redeemed by the blood of bulls and goats or gold and silver, but by the precious blood of the Lamb of God or God's Son. Now you think about that for a minute. Let's say you have access to a circle of people that are heathens, which we all were. And, you, and they have no regard for you. The majority of them have no regard for you. And your decision is to sacrifice your child for their well-being, knowing that most of them could care less. Now, that'd be a challenge for us, wouldn't it? When you read that parable, he's talking about what the Lord did, not what we do. A lot of those parables, you have to be careful. You make them about you, and they're really about about the Lord. Some of that stuff's been messed up over the years, but he bought the whole field. The Lord bought the whole field knowing he'd get one precious pearl, a remnant of people. He bought the, he paid the price for the whole world's sins knowing that only a few would embrace that. And then he, his ransom brought us out of pure love. We're not going to go to heaven and help God improve things. That's not our job. And, and you know, I, I use this jokingly because I, I, I name myself, first of all. God don't need my ideas. And don't laugh, He don't need yours either. He needs us to be willing to obey and do whatever He asks us to do. God doesn't need our ideas. And I say this jokingly, but if you come up with something, or I come up with something, God's not elbowing Jesus sitting at his right hand saying, look what Matt come up with. Why didn't we think of that? I mean, that's not how this works. I believe God would be so excited if he just found people who'd say, we're just here to obey you. Whatever you ask us to do, that's what we want to do. We don't want to come up with this grand plan for you, God. Looks to me like he's got a pretty good one already. And we don't need to add nothing to or take nothing away, right? Actually, there's a curse for that in the Scripture. 
And I tell young preachers all the time, God has no obligation to back up your vision unless it came from Him. You, get, you don't get to sit around and decide what you think God ought to be doing. God is obligated to back up His Word. And if He gives you a vision of something, and that's where the battle's at, right? Trying to separate the soulish man from the spirit man. And only the Word of God can do that. So that you can have clear uh, direction from the Holy Spirit and not from all the external influences. There's many voices John said out there, many of them. And so we got to be careful that we don't talk to ourselves, let God listen, right? But we want to clear the... And that's why I think, and this is one of the things I respect the monks that I've got to be around for. They really guard the amount of traffic in their mind. Now, if, you just, if, you, if you're one of those people that just soak anything and everything up all day long and God gets very little time with you from His Word... You're going to have battles that you really shouldn't have. You're going to have competition. I'm not saying you're going to go out and do crazy stuff. I'm just saying your mind's going to stay so trafficked. And that was one of the things they said to me. They said, God did not intend for us to process the amount of information we're all trying to process right now. God wants us to find some time to be still and wait upon Him. And we've got to guard against that. And, and you, you, I have to guard against that too because you can do it in a religious way and it still be wrong. You can have all these grand plans and, and God never can slow you down so He can just speak to you and you can be still and know that He's God. And God's got this plan and if we slide into it, we'll be better off. Amen? So he says, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. Let me back up here. He says, they have a pure heart from a good conscience, from sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk. Idle talk. The, new, the old King James says, vain jangling. I like that. Are you a vain jangler? Not a juggler, a jangler. All of us are jugglers, right? We try to juggle this and this and this. But are you a vain jangler? I like that old English. Are you a vain jangler? It means to have, be consumed with fruitless talk. Empty talk. Think about that. Some of the conversations you may have. Fruitless talk, empty talk. Idle talk, it's a good word, one of the things that in this text uses one of the words that describe it, idle talk. Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. And that's a problem. Because we're in the last days. And people have been microwave trained. So they don't, they want to get all they can get of God in an hour a week. That's not how this works. You've got to have private devotion time. You've got to spend time with the Lord. It may mean that you put something else down that you normally would do because God's got crowded today in your life. He got crowded out. And you say, you know, I would normally do that, but I'm going to put God first, and I'm going to let that go and get to this. Your spirit man needs that food because he gets weak. How many know what I'm talking about? If he don't get that food... He starts taking on these battles that he's not equipped for. He's, he starts losing his strength. And that's what keeps our joy up. If you try to live in this world with all the chaos that's in this world and don't feed yourself the Word of God, you'll get in a depressed state. You'll lose your joy. And what's important about that is the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. You show me a Christian that don't have joy, and I'll show you a Christian that's probably weak. And how do we get our joy? By reminding Jesus, he, Jesus is a realist. He said, it's going to get bad. He said, you're going to have wars, rumors of wars, famine, pestilence, going to be everywhere. But then the last thing he said after he said all that was, but you guys need to look up because your redemption's drawing nigh. Stay, keep the joy alive. 
And think about this before you get aggravated about your position in the world. Like, why did we have to be alive when all this happened? God designated us for this time. Think about that. He designated us to be people of endurance. You, might, you and I have been destined for this moment. He allowed us to be born in the time that He wanted us to be most effective. Now, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm at the bottom of the list. You t list all the good people in the Bible, list them first, and then I'm somewhere on past there. But what if somebody we esteem in the Bible wouldn't equip for this day? They'd done their part. I'm not trying to take anybody off a pedestal. I'm just trying to say we're all human. And I, I was sharing with a couple of guys today just some stuff I've been studying Noah. I, I, I am getting so impressed with Noah. He was the real deal. Can you imagine what he faced for over 100 years? Talking about rain and the flood coming. And they're like, is this a joke? Flood? What do you mean a flood's coming? It don't even rain. Are you out of your mind? You, can you imagine what they were chiseling out in the newspapers back then? Headlines. Noah is a nut. Man, but I'm thinking... I, I got so fired up studying him this, earlier this week. I'm thinking, man, you done it, Noah. You kept the faith. And you had to wait over all the ridicule and all the people that thought you were, were, were crazy. And you still got your whole family on the boat. And not that he was laughing, but he had the last laugh. Man, how do you endure that? How do you keep working on that boat? We get upset if the drive through takes six minutes. Right? Come on, let's be honest. I saw some of you. I was behind you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we get upset if the food's not on time. Right? And this guy's going to work every day and just building that boat. And I mean taking his time and rubbing the pitch on it and building the levels, putting one window. Keep his eyes on the Lord. Didn't want to see nothing else. See, that's where we mess up. Had one window that looked to heaven... And similar to what Peter did, as long as he was looking at Jesus, he was fine. He started sinking when he didn't. And Noah knew if he would have looked outside, he would have been discouraged probably. He was seeing all these people drowning, all these animals drowning, the screams and all the devastation. He probably would have seen a wave coming and, and his flesh. And, but he, he, one window, one window. There's a message in that, isn't there? You just need one window. In your house. Figuratively speaking. One window. He didn't need but one window. Because if he'd looked at everything else. He would have got discouraged. Maybe distracted. Maybe even defeated. Just one window. So he could see the Lord. See that's where we're messing up. As, as the modern church. We think we need God and Whatever the least is. All we really need is God. And His family. We're all part of His family. That's what we need. And that's why God didn't allow Him to put windows everywhere else. Right? If a human would have built that, we'd have put windows probably at least on the third story. Maybe, maybe not down in the bottom. But we'd have put windows up where we could have had our coffee every morning. But there's a beautiful message in that. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Paul tells us don't to look back. Forgetting those things that are behind you. You press on to the prize, the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus. He said that I may apprehend what I've been apprehended for. God will be very specific in your life. God don't shoot with a shotgun with us. He shoots with a rifle. He's very specific. God didn't send you to do it down here to just to do whatever. He's got a plan. Do you think it's a coincidence that your paths cross with whoever your circle is? It's not a coincidence. 
God planted you here for such a time as this. And he, this, I'm trying to find the right word. This is not the right word, but I'll get to the, the, the idea. He's counting on us. Now, God don't have to have us, but he, he's looking for us to answer the call in these last days. What if you were born in a different time and it wasn't as intense as it is now? Maybe you'd got lazy. There ain't no getting lazy now. I preached a funeral and I, uh, this week and I said, people are on, these last few generations love to be on the fringe. They love to be different. Well, come on in. That's Christians now. We're the ones on the fringe. We're the ones that get made fun of. We're in the minority. You want to be radical? Be a, be a true sold out Christian. Because you don't fit in anymore. We don't fit in with the culture. And so we're the ones that they think we're crazy. They love that. These new generations, they love it. That's why they do all that, right? I want to be different. You want to be different now? Right, here's the place to be. Come and join the Christianity. Come and surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Because we're in the minority now, and we're the ones that are looked at as troublemakers in a lot of ways. We won't go along with everything because we have a higher authority with the Holy Spirit and God's Word. And so we say, we yield to the Word. We're at the time where all of us have got to have the same spirit that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had. We are in that moment. We're at the time where we got to say, listen, we don't have to be arrogant about it. We just have to say, listen, we, we follow the Bible. And if you're going to do something here in this place or ask us to do something that causes us to compromise the Word of God, we're not going to do it. And, and I love what the three Hebrew boys said. They said, listen, King, we know the Lord can deliver us. And, and we believe that, right? The Lord can do anything. He, he can deliver us. But they, they come back and said, but if He don't deliver us, we still aren't bound. We're, we're, we're standing with God and His Word. We're not worshiping a false idol. And that's what the, you, this sounds strange to us. But the Bible, basically, that was a trial run. What went on in Babylon and Egypt are pictures of the tribulation period and the end of time. And we, we were saying things, if, if you hear newscasters when they make fun of preachers and, and church stuff, they make fun of them saying, ah, oh, this talk about beheading and, and all the stuff that the Bible says and this talk about worshiping idols. All that's coming back. Because that's how crazy man is. Without God, we go backwards. And we're going to go back to idol worship. That's why the Antichrist is going to turn on. He's going to proclaim himself. And he's going to have a, an image that he wants people to worship. They're already beheading people in Muslim countries. They're already Islam has already been cutting people's heads off for the last 10 years again. That stuff's come back. Everything, everything that people looked at the Bible and said, boy, it's old-fashioned. Boy, it don't, it don't really. And, and now it's all coming true. And, and even the church said this about Israel. And, 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 and they were troubled, I'm sure, but they were like, how's this going to happen? In the late 1800s, early 1900s, many of the theologians were saying things like, we must be misunderstanding Matthew 24, Luke 21, and Mark 13 because Israel's not a nation and there's no way they'll ever be a nation again. They just couldn't. Why? Because they tried to use their brain instead of their faith. There's going to be some things that God does that makes your brain mad and you're just going to have to live with it. I'm glad He does that. I'm glad that He does things that we can't figure out. You think about all these guys in the Old Testament that, uh, that, that had to trust God for supernatural things. I think a lot of times our intellect gets in the way of supernatural things. We can't figure it out, so we're not going to buy into it. Well, there's a lot of things you and I can't figure. You know one of the things, one of the best lessons I've learned since I've gotten older is how much I don't know. Sometimes I, I feel like a dummy. Is anybody feel that way with me? Or is it just your pastor that's the dummy? <laughs> I mean, the more I, the older I get, I'm real like, man, I, I don't know. You know, I'm, 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 and it's causing me to have to lean on the Lord more, right? But that's what the journey was designed to do. It was designed, your faith journey and my faith journey was designed to get us to lean more on God. That, because He's the answer. I don't care what the problem is, He's still the answer. And so we got to make sure that we understand He's in charge.
And no matter what it looks like, we got to take him and take his word and hang on to it. I hung on to that, his healing for three years till he showed up and healed me last week. And my wife can tell you, I'm a different man. I, I, I just, one day last week, I realized I'd went three days and hadn't had that uh, gastro problem. And I tried everything. Medicine, you name it. Get mad at certain foods. Have a fight with a food or something. And then the Lord just showed up last week and healed me. And he's healed several people in the last four or five weeks in this church. And he's faithful. But here's what I think we got to get out of. And this is what I started this last little rant over. You can't microwave everything. And God is looking for some people that will hang in there when everything's gone wrong. When you don't hear him. When he didn't show up when you thought he should. I, I thought he should have showed up like the next day when I asked about prayer. I'm like, hey Lord, I've got something going on in my stomach. It's been a day. Where are, where are you? Right? I've been in the waiting room like six hours. It's like going to the doctor, right? I've been in the waiting room six hours, can't even get in. No, it's not the doctor, it's the ER, right? Go to the ER, can't even get in unless your leg's off. I, I had my first kidney stone. I went to the ER. There was nobody in the ER. Nobody in the waiting room. And I couldn't get in. I was about to pull the wallpaper off the walls. Because that first kidney stone, and it was peak I was throwing up, and I was moaning and groaning. And I literally was saying, Lord, I'm ready. I, I'm ready to go. You know, if it's, I didn't know it was kidney stone time. I thought I was dying. My wife, I woke up 3 in the morning. I'd worked in the garden all day, like 8 hours, because we had a giant garden. In the, I woke up, come straight out of bed, my back, and I said, oh, I've pulled something in my back, because I'd hold, you know, all day. You know, I'm, right? And so, run the tiller and hold, and then I got sick, and I started throwing up. My wife, we had a Chrysler New Yorker. looked like it come out of the hood. We looked good going to the hospital. It had that... Uh, Fake leather stuff on the back end of it. I got a real deal on that thing. It would not only do the miles per hour, but it would do the kilometers. I mean, I, when I went to Canada, I, and I took it to Canada, I changed it right over. So we're going to the hospital, ER, and I, I had to, we had to stop three, two or three times so I could just roll out of the car and throw up and get back in. And we got there, nobody in the ER, nobody. And I'm ready to jerk the wallpaper off the walls miserable and finally I get in and finally they diagnose it I heard one of them say well it's that time of year that's probably a kidney stone so they come in seasons seems like more than not so they diagnosed me and that's the only time I've been in the hospital other than to visit somebody else was I stayed for like four hours till I passed that kidney stone but it was that's how we are right I want it right now, do you know God uses pain to direct us sometimes? He uses pain to get our attention. He uses pain to mature us. He uses pain so we can identify with others. That's why Jesus hung on the cross, so He could identify with us. We go through things because as we mature, we're supposed to be soul winning, right? So we can identify with others. Now, I don't, I'm not crazy about kidney stones. I've been trying to get God to just do something different next time, you know. But I've had through two or three since then, but you kind of know what they are now. But that, the waiting is the hard part, right? The waiting. You feel like you're, God, this is hampering me. And God just keeps letting the pressure be applied. Why? Why does God do that? Well, if you go to Malachi, or if you're Italian, Malachi, if you go to Malachi, there's where the goldsmith is at. And the goldsmith heats the gold up and then as it heats up, he scrapes the impurities off the top so that he can look and see his own reflection. And here's the thing about gold. The next time the gold is, is heated, it has to be heated hotter than the last time to get more impurities out. That's how God works in our life. Your strength is outgaining your trials, but your trials do get tougher. They do get tougher. I, when I look back over my life, I can see things that I thought were so hard to get through, but then I've seen things happen in the last 10 years. I'm thinking, 
Well, if I hadn't went through that, this would have maybe wiped me out. It's like strength training for us, right? Spiritual strength training. You, you, can't, you go to the weight room so that by the time you started four years ago, by the time four years are up, you may have bench pressed 50 pounds right beside Barney 5 in the weight room. And then four years later, you're bench pressing 350 pounds because you stayed true and you held in there. So that's the hard part for us, right? The waiting. The waiting is the hardest part for us because we don't see why God don't help us when we think we need it. I'm talking to me, Lord. I'm letting them listen. And we... And I don't understand everything. I wish I could tell you I, could under, I, I do not understand all of His ways. I do not understand God's timing a lot. I don't. We're not God. He's reserved some things for Himself. And some things God does, I leave scratching my head. Thinking, hmm, I don't see. But here's what I know. Because I have a relationship with Him and I know how good He is. When I turn and walk away and say, mm, I don't get that. I do get the one who can't do any wrong. And that's where I lay my faith. Okay? And, and I have to, sometimes I have to say, Hey Lord, I don't see what you're seeing. And I just trust You. And you all know, we went through a big battle with that about a year and a half ago. Probably the hardest thing we'd ever went through in our life. And to this day, I don't know. I don't know why God chose to do one thing when it looked so obvious He should have done this. You know what I'm saying? That's how the flesh works. And I wrestled with God, and that's when I wound up with a kidney stone and everything else, and I, was, I, I pushed the lines with God during that time. And I would go places and just pray and I had anguish, languishing. I'm starting to understand all these terms in the Bible. When it says these guys languished and all that kind of stuff, it, it come home to me. And I've used this line before sometimes, but the Lord spoke to me, spoke a couple of words to me, getting my attention. And then the final word that He, not, he really laid it to me, and I took it. Uh, he said, you know, I had Moses raised in Egypt. Now, how many of us would have thought that was a good idea? How many of us would have said, how dare you, God, take my son and stick him in a pagan temple where there's false gods and they don't give a hoot about you? His ways are not our ways. But he protected him. Raised him up. And now he's one of the most prominent men that's ever walked the face of the earth. But he wasn't raised in the church. He was raised in the world. That's how big our God is. How many of you all have heard stories? My son went to the service in the war. And the Lord done a miracle to get him back home. Everybody around him, or, you know, just story after story, you hear how big God is. Our God is able. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit is the best teacher. And He can speak to people no matter what. We would have never. I couldn't have seen that. I thought, I'd be like, Lord, you can't send Moses to the palace. They worship false gods. They eat things sacrificed to idols. Now hear that. They do everything illicit. They're crazy over there, right? Sending them to uh, uh, Egypt to be raised would be like sending them to Washington, D.C. in this country. No, Lord, don't send them up there. And I do believe there's a spirit of lying in that, in that town. I, there's spiritual strongholds in certain cities, and one of them up there is a lying spirit. And so you, you, the, the waiting for God to move and sometimes Him doing things that are, we can't figure out. Now, how do you, I want to drive this point home because we're going to have to be people of endurance in these last days. And we're going to have to stick it in there and hold on no matter 
whether we understand or not. We keep our, our, our eyes on the Word of God and on the Holy Spirit, and we're going to have to stick in the game no matter if we understand what's going on or not. How do you think uh, Gideon felt? When Gideon come out, he had 20-some thousand, 30-some thousand, right around 30,000. And the other team has 100-some. He's way outnumbered to start with. And when God gets through with him, he's got 300. Can you imagine what's going through his mind, his soulish man? He's probably thinking, we're going to get slaughtered. Now, he overcome that. We know he used his faith to overcome it. But he, he's probably thinking this. Put, it, put flesh and blood on it. Put your own life situation in that. You and God will always be a majority. And that's what Gideon reconciled with. And the beautiful thing about the Hebrew there is Gideon, this is how the Hebrew stresses about Gideon. The Hebrew says Gideon didn't put on God's glove or get God's hand. The The Hebrew says God clothed himself with Gideon. Now that's powerful. Because if God clothes himself with you or me, you win. I don't care how many's on the other hill over there. And so these, we're not the only ones that faced uncertainty. We're not the only ones that God put our faith to the test. What about Mary? I love Mary. Mary's probably 16 years old. And the Holy Spirit says you're going to, or the angel comes and says the Holy Spirit's going to shadow over you and you're going to conceive the Son of God. What risk? Try explaining that to everybody in the family at Thanksgiving. Try sitting around the table and saying, and you know what she said? What faith for a young teenage girl. She said, whatever the Lord wants, be it unto me. Does anybody feel that? Now Mary's not a, she's not a deity, but she was a heck of a lover of God. She, she was a woman of God even as a teenager. She said, whatever the Lord wants, that's what I want. And so you can imagine how the conversations had to go. She telling her, and that's why the Bible says Joseph put her away privately because he was dealing with that too. He's probably thinking logically, right? Get your brain. That's what Gideon had to do. You, God's going to make your brain mad. God said, take 300, going to whoop them all. I put that like a good Kentucky boy. <laughs> whoop them all. We're going to take 300, whoop them all. Mary's probably like, she's supposed to be stoned. If you turn up pregnant and then try to tell your mother you turned up pregnant and then try to tell them all the story and Joseph, put Joseph with his buddies hanging out at Cracker Barrel and he's saying, listen guys, I got a problem. My wife's pregnant and I could hear them saying, hey man, the Lord will forgive you. You know, just, you know, whatever they were going to console him with if they were his friends. And, and Joe said, now hold on. She and I have not been together. And then the next question from your buddies is, well, whose is it? She said, it's the Lord's. And you're buying it. You imagine all the, let's put, these people are real people. So the Bible says Joseph put her away, was going to put her away privately. Then what happened? An angel came and talked to him. Said that which is of her is of the Holy Spirit. Now, look what God did. He protected this young girl through all the religious system, through everything going on, all the gainsayers, and protected her. And there's really nothing ill mentioned about her at all. There's not much said about, there's not anything said about a struggle or anything. But you know, we live in a real world and probably the fear of all that was trying to grip her. So these people go through the same. Think about God giving Jonah a ride in a big fish. We call it a whale. The Bible doesn't call it a whale. It might have been a giant bluegill for all we know. God can make a bigger bluegill as He wants to. And he, he, see, this is what I want us to get in our mind. Your life is not a just, it just so happened. God has designed you. He put you here for this season, for this moment. You are, you are purposefully designed. 
intentionally designed. Jonah says, it's me. There's another guy, right? Throw me over. They throw him over. It just so happens the big bluegill's coming by. It just so happens he swallows him and refuses to eat him. It just so happens the fish is headed right to where Jonah's supposed to go. It just so happens he spits him out where he's supposed to be. None of that just so happened. That was all designed by God. And even when Jonah was in rebellion, God was still looking out for him. That's the kind of God I serve. I'll leave you with this before I close. Abraham, him and his wife, they, they messed up, didn't they? They messed up to the point to where there's still trouble over in the Middle East because of what they did. But God wasn't caught off guard about that. Nothing fetches God off guard. But Abraham blew it big. He didn't go somewhere he wasn't supposed to go. Now, he did some of that too. He didn't lie, but he did some of that too. Uh, he did a lot of things like we all have done, right? He tried to do God's job for him. Now, you're pretty brazen when you do that. Him and his wife decided God wasn't showing up on time. Am I talking to anybody? He wasn't showing up on time. So him and her decided, we're going to help God out. Does that sound like anybody you've looked at in the mirror before? We're going to help him out. And so they helped God out. And guess what? God was not impressed. And he didn't receive it. And here's what we see. If you love God, let me, let me say this. If you love God, you're going to blow it. Tell your neighbor, if you love God, you're going to blow it sometime. You are. You're going to blow it. <laughs> but if you love God and you pursue Him, you can blow it and you still can't stop His promises from coming to pass. Now, I'm not talking about somebody that goes lives in rebellion. I'm talking about somebody like Abraham who realized he'd blown it. Peter. We got a lot of guys in the Bible that blew it, but they kept coming back to God. David. He had a heart. Uh, here's, what, here's what blowing it will do for you. It'll do one of two things. It'll cause you to start resisting God, start getting distant with God, and start feeling sorry for yourself. Or it will, you'll see, right? We've all seen this. You'll see what you're capable of, and it'll cause you to cling that much closer to God. Because you have, sometimes God has to reveal us to ourselves. So we can see what he sees, so we can cooperate. So here's the issue. We're, we're living in the last days. We're going to see more supernatural things. We've been seeing that here. God's going to do that. He's going to take care of his people. We know that. But there's going to be a challenge to endure. Because the world is going to 100 miles an hour away from God. And a large part of the church is doing the same thing. I understand that. So we're going to feel at times like we're in the minority, which we are. But greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Amen? So your endurance and patience. Let consistency, patience, endurance, let it have its perfect work so that you'll be lacking nothing. Now, I'm going to speak to you as truthful as I can. God has used pain in my own life. Uh, we don't like to hear that. But God has used pain to direct me. If you break a bone, sometimes the most painful thing is getting it set back. And God uses pain sometimes to... And the Bible says Jesus learned obedience through the things He suffered. Well, if that's true of him, cheer up, saints. It's true of us too. So, God chose you. Know that. Don't let the devil talk you out of that. God has chose you. He's put you here for this moment in the world. Be what you're supposed to be. 
Have patience. Don't give up on God. He will show up. He may not show up when we think He should, but He will show up. But we all need to have the same attitude that the three Hebrew boys did. They actually got through in the fire after it was cranked up seven times. God hadn't showed up. And maybe when they were taking them out there and the fire come out and, and, and destroyed the guys that were putting them in, maybe when they were headed out there, they were probably thinking, eh, guess he ain't showing up. Then he gets, they get in the fire and guess who's in there waiting on them? The Lord. I believe that many Christians are missing out on some of the greatest points of their testimony because instead of walking into the fire, they keep running from things. If God's designed a trial for your life, He knows what He's doing. I always take inventory. When trouble comes to my life, I do two things. I take inventory. And say, if anything's out of whack between me and God, that might have left the door open for Satan to come in, because that can happen. Then the second thing I do is I talk to God. He's my friend. And I ask him, is this from your hand? Or is Satan doing this without your permission? Well, he has to, he's in charge. I understand that. But is this just an attack from Satan? Or have you designed this trial for me to grow? Those are the things I ask when trouble comes. We all have trouble. But he said he'd never leave us, nor forsake us. He'd be with us to the end. And he also said, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord shall deliver them out of most of them. You all read your Bibles. He'll deliver them out of all. Don't you give up. Don't you back down. Your God has got you covered. Amen. Let's give the Lord some praise tonight. Father, we thank you for the, your word. It's a lamp to our feet and a light into our path. It is, living, it is living food. It satisfies the spirit man who has to rise up and deal with the soul and the body. We need your word. It's, it's beautiful. It tastes good, Lord. We need it to be healed. We need it to be filled. We need it to be for direction. We need it for uh, joy. All the things we need. And we just pray, God, that your word will take root in us tonight. And that we will be the people that you can count on to follow you and obey you. We don't need to come up with a plan for you. We just need to follow and obey and, and be determined to do your will. In Jesus' name. Mm -hmm.